Good morning, Millington Baptist Church family. Happy Easter. So glad to join you in your home from our home this morning. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. This is the most important day on the Christian calendar. Uh, grab your Bible and uh, open it up with me to the book of Romans as we continue in our series uh, today. The message this year for Easter we've entitled Creation Groans, Eagerly Awaited Victory. Uh, what an appropriate title and theme for this year as we face this crisis in our country. We're in the middle of this pandemic waiting for this all to end. And if there's uh, one thing that Americans despise, it is just that, waiting. Uh, a few years ago, Timex Watch Company did a study on how long we're willing to wait for uh, various things. For example, uh, we are willing to wait seven minutes to get a cup of coffee. Uh, we will wait 15 minutes for a table at a busy restaurant, 20 minutes to see a doctor. Uh, we will wait 13.4 minutes for a family member who's late to a family event. After that 13.4 minutes, it gets really annoying that they're so late. Uh, we will wait 1 minute and 52 seconds before shushing a person talking in a movie, movie theater. That sounds about right. We will give a parent 2 minutes and 41 seconds to quiet a loud baby before we frown disapprovingly at them. Uh, and the study found that we will wait exactly 5 seconds before honking at a car sitting when the light turns green. I think that's a typo. Uh, here in New Jersey, I think I get about 0.5 seconds before I get honked at uh, here in this busy traffic around our house. Now, it can't be denied that we are an impatient culture. We do not like to wait. And if there's anything that makes waiting even harder, it is when pain enters into the equation. When we are in some kind of pain, physical, emotional, or spiritual, we tend to be even less patient and more frustrated than normal. And so this double whammy of waiting while suffering is exactly what our text addresses this morning, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 39. Uh, Romans chapter 8 is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. Uh, Presbyterian theologian Charles Erdman wrote, If the epistle to, of Paul to the Romans rightly has been called the cathedral of the Christian faith, then the eighth chapter may be regarded as its most sacred shrine or high altar of worship, of praise and of prayer. Uh, Dr. James Stifler added, If Holy Scripture was a ring and the epistle to the Romans its precious stone, chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. And so turn with me with great expectation uh, to the sparkling jewel, the most sacred shrine of this amazing letter, Romans chapter 8. Remember the context, if you were with us last week, uh, we saw as Pastor Bob uh, preached about the beginning of this chapter, this profound liberation that we have because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Apostle Paul says we are no longer uh, condemned. We've been set free. We are now heirs with, with Christ and, and we have this incredible future, and Paul ended with this exhilarating word as we now cry out, Abba, Father. But now, Paul is going to contrast this rising hope with the inescapable reality of the pain and frustration of human existence in this fallen world. We all live in this tension. We live in the tension between our great hope in front of us and our current reality right now. The tension just exists like a rubber band between these two time periods. 
And so here's the question we have to ask and answer today. How can we as Christians face suffering in this world with patience and even with confidence and deep assurance that it's all worthwhile? What if I told you that the Bible has an answer to that question of how to face suffering? Would you be interested in that answer? But what if I told you that the message of Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 2,000 years ago, can completely change the way you relate to suffering? This is Paul's agenda in this text and the topic of today's sermon. Paul is going to give us three strategies to employ while we wait through suffering. Paul is going to tell us three things. We need to, number one, look forward. Number two, look inward. And number three, look backward. We need to look forward, we need to look inward, and we need to look backward. Before we look at our text, let me just personalize this for us. Let me ask you, in your life right now, this personal question, what are you waiting for? What are you groaning for in your personal life right now? Maybe for some of you, it's waiting on a loved one who is sick during the middle of this pandemic and you are waiting for them to get well. Uh, maybe for others of you, uh, there is deep financial hardship in the middle of this crisis and you are waiting to get back to work and get back on your feet. Maybe for others of you, you're waiting to, to just, you're looking forward to the end of this whole ordeal and you're waiting for this all to, to one day uh, bring things back to normal again. I don't know what you're waiting for this morning, but whatever it is, would you fix your mind on your pain and look with me at God's word? Before we look, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word together on this Easter Sunday morning, we thank you for preserving this text so that we could hear from you and learn from you in a fresh way. Remind us of these deep truths of the resurrection and how they apply so practically and so relevantly even in our lives today and even this morning. Bless every single person who's tuned in to watch. Help us to see uh, wonderful things in your law. Holy Spirit, we ask you for your illuminating power, and we pray all this for Christ's sake and for his reputation. Amen. Uh, let's start our text with verse 18, where the Apostle Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Pause right there. That is an astonishing statement. It's even more amazing when we consider the person who wrote this. We know from history that Paul was no stranger to suffering. He had been shipwrecked, he had been persecuted, he had been stoned, he had been left for dead, and yet here he says, his future glory is greater. I want you to notice that he says, I consider. I consider. That means that he's considered this, that he's thought about this very carefully. He's weighed the evidence, and now this is his conclusion. No matter what I go through, the sum total is not even worth comparing with the glory that awaits me. Now, why would he say that? What will this glory be like? He writes elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Friends, the great Christian hope is that one day this universe will be completely transformed. 
One day, even our bodies will be made new, and we will be like Christ. We will feast with him and reign with him and shine like the sun, and that glory is so blindingly powerful. C.S. Lewis talked about this in his work, The Weight of Glory, where he says this, quote, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Friends, when we lift our eyes toward our future glory, we will find that there is just simply no comparison of our pain with the glory that's yet to be revealed. This hope is so substantial that Paul says all of creation is waiting for it. Look in your Bible at verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Paul is poetically describing the inanimate creation as groaning and waiting eagerly. I think we all see this right now in the middle of this pandemic. We see creation groaning. Not just now, but we've seen this even before now. Even the loveliest scenes of nature, we still witness the fury of the elements with floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and droughts and earthquakes. We see at times the forces of nature even fight against themselves. Paul says creation is groaning. It's been subjected to frustration. Now, why is that? The reason is because of the curse. See, Paul is referring here to the curse that came upon the world after sin came into the world in Genesis chapter 3. After humankind rebelled and separated from our Creator, all of creation was alienated from our Creator as well. After this, creation began to experience things like disease and decay and, yes, even death. I can't think of a an Easter in my his, life's history where death has not has played such a prominent role as it does this Easter. All of creation is groaning, Paul says, and it always has been since the fall. Even in the animal kingdom, the animals know the reason why there is this groaning. The great preacher George Whitfield once said this, Haven't you ever noticed that when you come near the animals, they growl at us? They bark at us? And the birds screech at us and fly away. Do you know why? They know that we have a quarrel with their master. <laughs> Think of that the next time uh, the neighbor's dog uh, barks at you, chases you, or a bird poops on your car. Uh, remember that the next time a squirrel screeches at you when you get too close to its nest or a deer bolts at the sight of you. Uh, creation is groaning and waiting eagerly for the future glory. Uh, the word used waiting eagerly here is used three different times in our passage. It's this picture of a person like craning their neck to see what's coming around the corner. Paul says it's like the whole world is on, on its tiptoes waiting to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. It's groaning. Let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters. Do you hear the groaning of creation? 
Do you feel the gears of this world grinding, saying this is not the way it was supposed to be? Where in your life do you see this groaning right now? Where do you see this obviously showing up in your personal life? At this point, I want to draw your attention uh, to a dear family in our church who has experienced this kind of suffering, a family who knows all about this groaning, perhaps all too well. Check out this video clip. Hi, we're Luke and Jenny Cianello. We've been coming to Millington for about 15 years. Um, over that time, we've been blessed by many uh, friends and, and brothers and sisters in Christ that have come alongside of our journey and our uh, struggles. And so many of you have um, been along and helped us through some hard times and specifically some medical challenges with our children. And uh, one, one of our children in particular, James, when James was born, it was clearly evident that he was suffering from some pretty challenging medical issues. Um, he had some GI issues, lung issues, and immune system issues, all within the first year of his life. When James was born, uh, it was evident early on that, the, that he was going to face some pretty um, monumental challenges, and, and us as a family then consequently would as well and at that time we were not uh, prepared to deal with the extent of the issues that we would but we didn't know what they were so by the grace of God he um, he didn't reveal what was to come and gave us the strength and the support we needed out along the way to deal with that as it came. If we'd have known when James was born the journey we'd go through in the next 10 to 15 years it would have probably overwhelmed us and we would have likely collapsed under the weight of the pressure. James needed to have a feeding tube placed um, when he was eight, two years old and his sole source of nutrition was formula dependent for the majority of his life from age two on. Um, he, he's also been under general anesthesia 35 times. He's been hospitalized over well over 45 times um, and he's had probably about five or six serious um, operations. So watching James grow up, we're only a couple years apart, but the toughest part was knowing that I had a relatively normal life or normal opportunities, the chance to be a quote unquote normal kid and watching him not have those chances watching him go into the hospital countless times. And the scariest part was thinking about every time he went in, I wasn't sure if he was coming home. And it was terrifying. I think as a sibling, it's really hard to watch somebody who you're so close with to go through um, such a scary journey. And I remember specific times where I would wake up and there'd be paramedics or police officers in the hallway of our, our house. I think for me, um, what I have found probably the hardest part of this journey as, as James's mom is knowing that um, I carried him and you, you can't help but humanly feel guilt 
you know, what if could I have done something different or, you know, is it something that was passed on from me to James? Is you you blame yourself a little bit because there I feel there is no greater struggle than here comes the tears. <laughs> Looking at your baby who is helpless and you can't fix it. But he can. And there is no greater joy or hope that can be provided to you than, than Jesus. Sometimes Jesus becomes our only hope. Uh, we'll finish that story in just a moment, but for now, let's get back to our text as Paul continues here in verse 22. He says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Here is a very interesting illustration. In case you didn't know this, childbirth hurts. I can personally attest to this fact. I have uh, been in the room three different times to see exactly what this pain is all about with my own eyes. But here's what else. As soon as the baby comes, how quickly that pain is forgotten, right? This, Paul says, is like an echo of the big story. Now, I've never experienced this pain firsthand, but I have had a few kidney stones in my life. How many of you out there can relate to that? Raise your hand if you know the pain of a kidney stone. I feel you, that is very difficult. But here's what I know about that kind of pain. I don't relate to that kind of pain the same way that a mom relates to the pain of childbirth. I have never heard anybody sitting around going, hey, you should see my kidney stone. Check it out, I've got it right here on the dresser. How amazing, right? How beautiful. No, we just talk about the pain. Why? Because there's no glory afterward. It was just suffering. Paul says, it's not like that. It's more like the pain of childbirth, where the pain is gonna be followed by great beauty and great joy, great glory. Just like that, for the people of God, we have great hope even in the middle of our pain. Now I want you to notice that it's not just creation that's groaning here. Look at verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. What do we groan for? I would like to draw your attention to that phrase in this text, the redemption of our bodies. Friends, today is Easter Sunday. This is the great hope of Easter Sunday, the hope of resurrection. Namely, that when Jesus Christ comes back and returns, our frail and faulty and undependable bodies will one day be redeemed and traded in for perfect ones. Amen. Just as the disciples saw the transformed human body of Jesus, so we will one day trade in our old vessels for a body that will not decay, will not age, will not ache, will not break, and will not sin. That is good news. And that leads us to our first point today. How can we wait patiently for our pain to pass? We do so by looking forward. By looking forward. Look forward. When we do that, we can put our pain in its proper perspective. Paul says, yes, I know you're suffering, but hang on, it will one day come to an end. This is why our hope is so important. 
This world is not our home. We are sojourners and we are pilgrims here. Our best days are in, in the future. They are ahead of us. Yes, in this life, our experiences are all tainted by pain, but none of that is going to be the last word, brothers and sisters. We can't even comprehend how good it's going to be. Therefore, we can suffer now with patience, dignity, and hope because we know what is coming. Wait patiently, longing for the Lord's return. Look forward. Then and only then, and not before then, will the pain end. Until then, Paul says we groan. Elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, We groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. And we also groan because of our sin, which still lingers on the inside of us and in the lives of those that we love. You might remember when Jesus was walking on the earth and his friend Lazarus died. Jesus groaned as he approached his tomb in sorrow because this is not the way it was supposed to be. We groan for a positive reason, though. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. The word first fruits referred to here referred to the, the first batch of an incoming harvest. It was like the first installment of what was to come. It was like, like a down payment, if you will. Have you ever wanted to buy something and uh, to reserve that, you had to put a deposit on that or a down payment uh, to reserve it for yourself? Paul says that's exactly what God has done for us. As a deposit, he's given us his Holy Spirit to live on the inside. This is a wonderful deposit of the inheritance that we're looking forward to. And so we wait eagerly. You and I have an inconsolable longing for our heart's greatest desire, our, our deepest joy, which still waits for us in the future. And so for now, creation groans. And for now, we groan. And Paul says, there's someone else who groans as well. Take a look at verse 26. Paul says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Notice that word weakness there. When we suffer, there is a weakness that occurs. We feel that our flesh is weak. We feel that our spirit is weak. We may even at times feel that our faith is is weak. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we find that it's even difficult to pray. If I'm honest with you today, even as a pastor, I find it difficult to pray at times. Uh, right now, some of you may know our family is in the middle of this crisis as a dear loved one is suffering in the hospital. And at times we are praying fervently and at other times I find it difficult to come up with the right words to pray in this situation. Thankfully, the Spirit himself intercedes for me. And so that leads us to our second point about facing suffering. We are not just to look forward, but Paul says we can also look inward. We can look inward. I'm so thankful that God doesn't sit back and just tell us what to do or even just give us good advice. Instead, the scriptures teach that our God himself lives on the inside of our hearts and helps us bear our sorrows. He is God, the one who created us, the one who loved us, the one who redeemed us, and therefore he groans alongside of us. This is exactly the help that we need. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of God's people. He comes alongside of us and intercedes for us, kind of like an attorney. Someone who speaks on our 
behalf. What that means is that, friends, you and I are never alone in our pain. We are surrounded outside and inside by our loving and compassionate, compassionate and comforting Holy Spirit who helps us even in our suffering and groans within. In the meantime, while we wait, while we groan, I want you to see here that we are given one of the most amazing promises in the whole Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That is such a powerful promise from God himself, isn't it? He's always working, even in difficult circumstances, for the good of those who love God. This is a promise that God will work out everything, all our circumstances, all our failures, all our victories, all our desires, and they will all come together for the good. Notice Paul says here, we know this. He does not say we suppose. He does not say we wish. He does not say we hope. He says, we know that God is working all things together for our good. Now, this verse doesn't mean that we won't experience pain. It means that even in our pain, there's a purpose. And so it's hard, but it is never senseless. It's all under the control of our sovereign God. And what is the main thing that our sovereign God is doing? Verse 29 tells us, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is what God is doing. He is making me and you more and more into the image of Christ likeness. When Romans 8.28 says God works all things together for the good, this is the good. God is working all things out in order to conform us into the image of his one and only Son. And sometimes that process involves groaning. Uh, but as Chuck Swindoll once said, the greater the groan, the greater the glory. The greater the groan, the greater the glory. Let me go back to that story about James and let's see how this family handled this incredible suffering and this incredible difficulty. Check this out. Growing up was definitely very challenging for me, um, very discouraging. Um, just being in the hospital a lot is just kind of getting, getting used to the, you know, the environment, the smells, the just knowing when I had to go, kind of just you know, really put a toll on me and just, it was very devastating every time I had to go. And um, just moments where I would look my dad in the eyes and ask him if I was gonna make it, will I be okay? And not knowing the uh, assurance from him or just anybody really tested my faith and whether or not I was gonna be okay. So I definitely had to put all my trust into Jesus Christ throughout this this journey and this struggle of being in the hospital and just all this, um, you know, health problems and just not knowing whether or not I could do it anymore. I really had to, you know, um, just put all my faith and trust in God and just pray. And I thank everybody for all the prayers and so many friends and family have helped me through it. And just really, really at the end of the day, going to the man upstairs and 
assuring that I'll be okay and just, just putting my faith in Him. Today we wanted to share with you kind of where we've been for the last year. Um, it's really miracles James has experienced. Um, just a year ago, he couldn't even really walk um, without assistance from the couch to the bathroom or wearing oxygen. And he played on the JV basketball team this year. I mean, it's a miracle. He, he can just, he gets up and walks to school every day. He can go to school every day. I mean, all of these prayers that were said are, are being answered. It's just a miracle. And daily I sit back and just, you don't even have to have a lot to say. I just, because I, I'm speechless, I just thank Jesus. Like, it, miracles. Uh, we just want to take the opportunity to um, share this with you and celebrate what uh, what is possible with uh, you know with faith in God and and lifting each other up and you know we're just so blessed to and fortunate to be able to go on this journey together and uh, you know we thank you for that. What all of this has made me realize is that everybody is put in a position in life for a reason. And James isn't here to live a typical life. We're not here to live a typical life. We're here to overcome challenges and battles and grow stronger through Christ and stronger through um, our love between each other by going through these battles and by overcoming challenges. I don't think I can really put into words how much, how how grateful I am for God and my church really praying for me and having all this faith for me to get better and be healed. And um, I just think that God has really tested my faith and along with my church and they really, they really have so much love and I have so much love for them. And I thank each and every one of everybody who's ever um, put their trust in the Lord and just this um, helped me through everything. What an amazing testimony to the power of God and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, even in the middle of our suffering. Let me finish our chapter. Romans chapter 8 uh, finishes with a number of rhetorical questions that Paul asks right in a row. It's like a crescendo. Uh, take a look with me at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is a rhetorical question. What's the answer? No one. No one can be against us. God is for us. That is such a great comfort, even in the middle of our pain, isn't it, friends? We get to know that God is for us. God is for me. God is for you. That is good, good news. It's true. God is for us. Then Paul says this, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This is a very important argument. It is what's called an argument from the greater to the lesser. If our God, the God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, if our God was that generous and that loving and that committed, then of course he will give us everything else. 
Uh, one of my professors, Harold Honer at Dallas Seminary, gave a helpful illustration about this. He said, it would be like going to Tiffany's in New York and purchasing a $20,000 diamond and then asking, would you mind giving me a box to wrap this up for me? Well, of course they would. The greater cost makes the lesser blessing incidental by comparison. Here's Paul's logic. Because Paul has given us the greatest gift of his son, of course he wants to give us the accoutrements of what comes with that. Of course he wants to give us all things that are for our good. Paul continues this crescendo at the end of Romans chapter 8, where he continues these rhetorical questions. Look at verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Look at his answer right there, because that is the message of Easter, isn't it? Jesus died. Jesus rose, Jesus ascended, and Jesus is now interceding at the Father's right hand. Notice there are three movements about Jesus' work there. First, Jesus died. Second, Jesus is alive. And third, he is on our side. Jesus died, Jesus is alive, and he is on our side. That is what we need to remember, especially when we are facing suffering. We, not just, we do not just need to look forward. We do not just need to look inward. We also need to look backward. We need to look backward at the glorious gospel made so clear to us on this Easter weekend. This is where God displayed his love for us. And here's why that's so important, friends. When you face suffering... It is a great temptation to be in the middle of that pain and to doubt whether or not God truly cares or God truly loves you. We think, well, wait a minute. If there's no condemnation, if it's really true that I'm a child of God and I'm an heir, why does it feel like God is punishing me here? Why does it feel like he doesn't love me? Paul says, no, no, no. That's not where you look to determine how God feels about you. You don't look at your circumstances to see how God feels about you. No, Paul says you got to look backward at the cross of Jesus Christ. That is where we see very clearly and very definitively how God feels about us. He loves us. After all, look at the cross. See, Paul says, I don't know all the reasons for my suffering, but I know it can't be that God doesn't love me. After all, look at the cross. After all, look at all that Jesus has done for us on Easter. Then Paul says this in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see Paul's logic here? This is what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones would call logic on fire. Paul is saying, think with me. Think through these questions as he beats our disbelief out of us. Are you afraid? Paul says, you aren't thinking. Are you worried? You're not thinking. Are you feeling guilty or condemned? You're not 
thinking. There is logic in the gospel, friends, that we have to tease out. This is not cold, dry, lifeless theology. This is full of joy and abundant life. If you aren't living this, then you aren't thinking through the implications of the gospel. Paul says you don't truly understand. This is the remedy for our suffering. We must think deeply about these precious truths and set them deep inside of our hearts, and we will find comfort, the comfort of God's love, even in the middle of our suffering. And Paul says this, I'm convinced of these things. I'm convinced of these things. And so the question for you and me, we have to ask ourselves is this, are we convinced of these things? Are you convinced of these things that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Five times Paul has asked rhetorical questions of the, uh, the, to draw out these amazing privileges of being in a relationship to Jesus Christ. And the answers are so plain and so wonderful when we think about Easter. Who can be against us? Verse 31, no one can successfully be against us after Easter. How will he not also with, with Christ give us all things? Verse 32, God will supply everything we need, even when all seems lost. Who will bring a charge? Verse 33, no one can make a charge stick against us in the court of heaven, no matter who accuses us. Who is the one who could condemn us? Verse 34, no one can condemn us. And finally, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35, no one and nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Friends, God's love never fails. God's love is not fickle. God's love is not conditional. God's love is not dependent on you at all. If God loved us at our worst, he will love us all the way to heaven, and he loves us even right now, period, full stop. Neither death nor life can separate you from God's love. For the Christian, because of Easter, because of the resurrection, death is not an ending. It is a beginning. It brings us closer to God's love, not farther away. Neither angels nor principalities, no earthly ruler or supernatural being has the power to cut you off from God's love. Not even your worst enemy, not even Satan himself, can put a wedge between you and God. Nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing that occurs in the timeline of your life has ever or will ever cut you off from the love of God. No powers. This is the only item listed without a partner. It is listed all by itself, probably because it is tied to everything on this list. Nothing is more powerful than God. Not height nor depth probably refers to every created thing on the earth and in the heavens. And finally, Paul says, if I happen to miss something, let me just end with saying, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, you are secure. God is your heavenly father. You are his child. There is nothing to fear. There is nothing to worry about. There's someone in church history who got this truth deep down in his spirit and in his soul. Uh, he lived in the, in the 300s and his name was John Chrysostom. He was an amazing preacher. They called him the man with the golden tongue. Uh, at the end of his life, he was, he was brought before the empress Eudoxia and, and he was threatened with banishment if he insisted on his stand for Christ. This is what he said. You cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house. But I will kill you, said the empress. No, you cannot, for my life is hidden with Christ in God, said Chrysostom. Well, then I will take away your treasures, said the empress. 
No, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there, said Chrysostom. But I will drive you away from your friends and you will have no one left. No, you cannot, said Chrysostom, for I have a friend in heaven from which you can never separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. Wow. You see, Chrysostom knew the freedom of knowing and believing in Jesus Christ. And just like Paul, he became convinced of these things. He planted his faith firmly right there in the truths of Easter weekend. How about you, my friend? If this is something that you can't say personally, along with John Chrysostom and along with the Apostle Paul, with confidence and conviction and with certainty, if you are not convinced of these things, allow me to share how you can understand and enjoy this confidence very personally. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ says all of us have fallen short of the glory of God because of our sin. Our sin has separated us from God. All of us fall short. You and I could both take a rock and try to throw it from here to New York City. One of us might throw it farther than the other one, but we would both fall short. Paul says that's exactly how it is with sin. We all fall short of God's perfect standards. In Romans 6.23, he says this, For the wages of sin is death. That is our wages. That is our paycheck for sin. Death, which means a separation. Physical death is a separation of the soul from the body. But spiritual death is a separation of the soul from God. That is the wages of sin. Spiritual death. That's the bad news. But the good news of the gospel is found in Romans 5.8. It says that God so demonstrated his love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was as if we were a patient in the ICU, dying, not having healthy cells throughout our body. But then Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, came down from heaven, died on the cross, and in a sense was able to give us all of his perfect perfect righteous cells in exchange for all of our sin and in exchange for the disease of sin that that wreaked havoc in our spiritual bodies and because of that great exchange salvation is offered as a gift but not everybody receives that gift you say how do you receive that gift pastor dave you receive that gift the bible says by faith for by grace you are saved through faith you trust in christ uh, just like you're trusting in that chair you're sitting in right now, you made a decision to trust in that chair to hold you up when you first sat down. Just like that, you have to make a decision to place your trust in Jesus Christ and his work on your behalf. That is the good news. That is the gospel. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I can't think of a better day to do that than on Easter Sunday. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. His love never fails. I'll give you a moment to accept the Lord Jesus for the first time in just a second. For those of you who are already believers, you've already placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you too may have suffering, you may, you may have worries today and fears, but don't allow those fears and those, those groanings in your life to take away the certainty and the conviction and the comfort and the confidence offered because of the scriptures in our passage today. So let me ask you, what is it that you're groaning for? 
What is it that you're suffering with this year, this Easter? The way we get through our suffering as followers of the Lord Jesus is by first looking forward, by secondly looking inward, and by thirdly looking backward. Look forward, look inward, and look backward. That's the great hope we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed, even right there on your couch. Uh, please bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we close with a word of prayer. If you're watching this video today and you want to become a child of God for the first time, anyone under the sound of my voice, if you want a relationship with God, I would invite you to pray this prayer alongside of me, just silently in your heart between you and God. Just say, Dear God, I want to receive your love. I want to be part of your family. Forgive me for my sins. I believe Jesus died and rose again on Easter Sunday. I want to receive by faith the gift of eternal life. I want to confess Jesus as my Lord. For all of us, Heavenly Father, we thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you that we have nothing more to fear. Thank you for the great hope of the resurrection. Thank you for Easter. And most of all, Lord Jesus, we thank you for making a way to pay for our sins and giving us the great hope of resurrection where one day we will reign together with you. We look forward to that day and we say, come Lord Jesus. In his name we pray together, amen.